enjoy the music. I'm grateful to have you here with us this morning and to see all of you here now a little earlier. Of course, you know, I don't know. Sometimes it's over. everybody's over here and it gets out of balance. Now, this morning everybody was over here. So it's good to see that we're rocking the ship back the other way a little bit. So that's always a good thing. I feel a little better about that. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 22 this morning. Matthew chapter 22. read beginning at verse 1 says there and Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables and said the kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king which made a marriage for his son and sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding and they would not come again he sent forth other servants saying tell them which are bidden behold I have prepared my dinner My oxen and my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready. Come unto the marriage. But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. And the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth, and he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. Then saith he to his servants, The wedding is ready. But they which were bidden were not worthy. Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find, bid to the marriage. So those servants went out into the highways, and gathered together all as many as they found, both uh, bad and good, and the wedding was furnished with guests. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. And he saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither, not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then said the king to his servants, Bind him hand and foot, and take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. And then went the Pharisees and took counsel how they might entangle him in his talk. In this passage, I'm really looking to deal with one word here, and that's the last word of the passage in verse 14, the word chosen. Many are called, but few are chosen. But of course, to realize the value and importance of it, we have to deal with this passage and of course look at other usages of this word to determine its value and meaning to us. In this parable, the Lord's instructing his disciples about those, uh, well, first of all, the main thing, uh, the, the wedding feast, and those who had been invited to participate in that wedding feast. And first off, he tells us about those who had been invited. And by the way, the word call and the word bidden in the King James, it's the same word, and it's translated invited in other translations. So in verse 3, 
we could say there that he sent forth his slaves to invite them that were invited or those having been invited to the wedding and they would not come. Now, of course, this referring to the Jewish people, to the nation, those having been invited were called. The call went out. The invitation actually was sent forth to actually come to the wedding feast. And it tells us there in verse 3, they would not. Now, he's telling us that the kingdom of heaven is like this. So that gives us a clue or a picture as to what is coming down the pike for not only Israel, but for us. And he says they would not. They, they chose not to come. And they all sent forth excuses as, as to why they weren't going to come. They had to you know, take care of an oxen. They had to take care of their farm. They had to take care of a wife, you know, whatever. They were making excuses as to why they would not come. The main thing I want us to look at here is at the end of verse 8. They which were invited were not worthy. They were found on the basis of merit not to be worthy to come participate in the wedding feast. And the reason, of course, is they found other things that were of more value, other things that were more important to them than what the Lord was finding of most importance. As a matter of fact, in verse 5, in the King James there, it says, they made light of it, this invitation. That is, they paid no attention to it. Or they just simply disregarded it, neglected it. Matter of fact, this word is translated neglected over in the book of Hebrews. To neglect this great salvation, this so great salvation, is the same word. They made light of that salvation. They made light and neglect of what the Lord was inviting them to. Now... um, In view of all of that, in regards to this wedding, he says, many are invited. The call went out to the entire nation, but only a few were actually chosen. Now, this word chosen in verse 14 is actually an adjective. Though in your Bible it's translated as a verb. And more properly could be rendered, many are called, but few are choice. Referring to the quality of those whom the Lord accepted. And you see that represented in the response that the king made when all of these rejected his invitation to come to the party, to the big feast, to the great wedding. And so in verse 9, in response to that, he says, Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find. 
invite to the marriage. And so those slaves went out into the highways and they gathered together all as many as they found, both bad and good, and the wedding was furnished with guests. Now that's an an interesting statement. The bad and the good. All were invited. All levels were invited. And they actually were there at the wedding feast. And that tells us something about the people who actually came. It wasn't the favored ones of the nation. Of course, it was the, it was the Gentiles of all walks of life. And the wedding hall was filled with, if you'd have walked in there, it would have been every kind of imaginable person that you could think of in society. And one of the things that that indicates to us here is that in a Eastern wedding, especially for a king, the garments, the clothing for the wedding feast would have been provided by the king, which undoubtedly was the case here. Inasmuch as the king, when he came in, he sees this one here who had not on a wedding garment and fully expecting to find everyone who had been obedient to bring, you know, the clothing that had been supplied and to actually put it on and wear it. But we see this response in the words not in verse 11 and not in verse 12. Because it tells us there that when he came into the wedding hall, when he came into the church auditorium, as it were, or wherever they were meeting for this wedding, he finds one in there who didn't have on the proper clothing. And the word not there is the word Greek word oo, which just simply means that he recognized as a statement of fact that here was one person who did not put his wedding garment on, even though it had been supplied to him and was expected to wear it, but he wasn't clothed with it. And so the king's then response to that, after he had observed this fact, his response to that observation was this. He said unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment on? That is a different Greek word, may, meaning how is it that you willfully chose not to put the wedding garment on, even though it had been supplied? And so the issue here was one of obedience on the part of this, this individual who had not properly prepared himself for participation in the wedding ceremony. And as a result of that, it says he was speechless. And of course, the end result of that was then that the king said to the slaves, bind him hand and foot, take him away, cast him into the darkness outside, 
and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are choice. Choice in a qualitative sense. And that's what he's referring to here about this, this individual who, through lack of obedience, failed to prepare himself as a choice one. And that's really what I want to emphasize this morning is this aspect of choice in the qualitative sense of being for God's people. Now, it's been a... It's how I'm going to get there that's bothering me. So, but here we go. There are several New Testament words used to describe choice and choosing. And you're familiar with a, a good many of these. The word we're looking at uh, specifically uh, is, ek, ek, uh, the, well, this you have the ekleko ma'i, which is uh, the appointing of a people. Now I'm going to read a few things here. To an office or to some responsibility with the expectation that the appointment or the appointee will fulfill what he was appointed to do. And it's important that we catch that. That when someone is chosen, selected to do something, it is to a purpose or an office with the expectation that they're going to fulfill what they were called to do. In the New International uh, Dictionary of New Testament Theology, it says this, In every case... It is a matter of electing or choosing people to perform a certain task or to administer a certain office. The election or choosing is always accompanied by some kind of obligation or task concerned with the well-being of all the other members of the community. So you picture the idea here that it's a selection out of a larger group. And the selection is to an appointment or a commissioning or a task to be fulfilled, not for the sake of the individual, but for the sake of the whole group or the sake of the whole community. No, we'll look at that later on. Um, also, this word, eklegomai, it's a mouthful. In classical Greek, now when we say classical Greek, that means Greek that was in usage prior to the New Testament Greek, what we call Koine Greek or common Greek for the common man. But in classical Greek, this would be two, three, four, five hundred years you know, prior to the New Testament being written. Uses it this way, and, and in the same sense, by the way, that it predominantly evidences a meaning of the selection of the best or choice. That's out of the Theological Dictionary of the New Testament. So why are we saying all this? Is that when we're using this word choose or choice, or as the New Testament and most translations commonly do is transliterate it, without translating it. 
because the word is eklektos. So you understand the word election, eklekt, <laughs> elect. We get our whole idea of an election from the same idea. When you have an election, in theory, you're going to elect the best out of a larger group, a choice person to fulfill a certain task. You also see this same idea um, a lot of times with kids uh, who are involved in sports leagues like soccer or um, little league baseball or whatever, and at, they will have a select team. So what happens is, you know, the teams will play their season, and from all the various teams in the league, then they will have a select team. So it's supposed to be a great honor, see, to play on the select team. Then what does the select team do? Well, some other city has a league, and they have a select team, and so you travel around and you play the best of the best, the choice of the choicest. And that's what he's speaking of here. We're looking at the choicest quality, the best of the best, as it were. Now it's also, and, and this adjective that we're talking about here, choice or selected, uh, it's used of soldiers and judges and things of best quality. In other words, in an army, when a group of men are chosen or selected to perform a certain task, like you know, go on a raid or something like that, who do they choose? The choicest. They pick out the best guys to do a certain task. You see that in things like, um, you know, the Navy SEALs or the Green Berets or, you know, some other such thing that you see in, uh, in military usage. But you have the same issue with um, the use of here, he says, of judges. You know, you don't pick the lowliest of the group to lead or to make the, be the decision maker for a group of people. You pick and select the choicest, the best. And then the noun. The noun, of course, is no different. It's predominantly, matter of fact, the noun eklage is predominantly selection with a qualitative meaning. It is used of officials, rulers, elders, and a commission of experts. Well, that makes sense. If you have a commission of experts, you called some people together to investigate something, you usually want to select the best, the most knowledgeable, the most experienced. It involves a careful sifting. Listen to this. It involves a careful sifting on the basis of aptness and surface serviceability for a specific end. So there's, there's something that you are being chosen to or for. Now, the Hebrew word is bakir or bakar. And... I mean, that's two variations of the same, same word, bakar, bakir. And I don't remember which one's which, verb or, verb or adjective, but in essence, it means the same thing that the Greek word means. And it means the choosing or commissioning or appointing. 
of certain ones out of a larger group for a certain commission, a certain task to be fulfilled. Now, I'm I'm going to read again here. Both Hebrew, Bakir, and the Septuagint terms, which, by the way, the Septuagint uses the Greek words that I just gave to you to translate this Hebrew word. Both terms carry the idea of God selecting or setting apart qualified people to fulfill some commission or office. This was true of Moses appointing judges for Israel, of appointments or selection to the Levitical priesthood. It was used of Joshua when he commissioned officers (coughs) for war. It was true of the appointment of Saul and, and David and Solomon when they were chosen to be king. It was true of God when he commissioned Israel as his unique people. And it was also true of God's choosing, selecting his choice as the Messiah. The reason I'm emphasizing that is because it's not as if God just, you know, looked around out here and said, okay, I'm going to pick you. I want you to be the Messiah. It was his choice that he chose, as it were. Look over at Isaiah and look th- let's look there at chapter 42. Isaiah 42 and verse 1. And you notice what he says there. He says, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, mine elect, my choice one, is how you would want to understand that. My servant, my choice one, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. And he shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not cry, nor lift up, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed shall he not break, and the smoking flax shall he not quench. He shall bring forth judgment unto truth. He shall not fail, nor be discouraged, till he have set uh, judgment in the earth, and the isles shall wait for his law. Thus saith God the Lord that created the heavens and stretched them out. He that spread forth the earth and that which cometh out of it. He that giveth breath unto the people upon it and spirit to them that walk therein. I the Lord have called thee in righteousness and will hold thine hand and will keep thee and give thee for a covenant of the people for a light of the Gentiles." to open the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from the prison and them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. I am the Lord. This is this one, this Messiah, he is describing as God's choice one. And that's how we should understand this word elect. 
It's not, again, to repeat as if God just decided to choose a certain one to be his Messiah. But he has a choice one that is to be his Messiah. And he has a certain task to fulfill. And you remember we said, by definition, along with that task was the expectation that it would be fulfilled. Now, with Israel, though they were God's chosen and choice, they failed. But with Israel's Messiah, it will not be so. With the Messiah, he will not fail. He will do what he was chosen to do because he is God's choice one. Now, coming back over here to the New Testament regarding him, look at Luke chapter 9. And verse 35. Now, of course, here they are. Um, they're on the, excuse me. They're on the Mount of Transfiguration and on in verse 33. You'll see there it says, It came to pass as they departed from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here, and let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elias, not knowing what he said. While he thus spake, there came a cloud and overshadowed them, and they feared as they entered into the cloud. And there came a voice out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. Now, there's a textual variance here. If you have a New American Standard or probably just about any other of the newer translations, it's going to say, my choice one or my chosen one, it's rather than my beloved son. This is my choice one or my choice son. Hear him. And then if you'll look over at a couple more pages to the right, Luke 23 And you see the same kind of expression. Here it says, And the people stood beholding, and the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he be the Christ, the chosen of God. And you would better understand this as the choice one of God. Here he is hanging on the cross, He's being mocked, and they're saying, let him save himself. If he is the Messiah, the choice one of God. And turn over to 1 Peter chapter 4, or excuse me, chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, and then we'll look at verse 4.
And you see that word also up there in verse of ch- 1 of chapter 1. But we'll just make note of that in a minute. But here he says in verse, uh, verse 4, concerning the Lord, it says in verse 3, that he is gracious, to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious, or rather, but choice of God, the choice one of God, precious. You also, as lively stones or living stones, are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also... It is contained in the scripture. And of course, it's important to understand here. He's quoting then from the Old Testament. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone elect. It's choice. And I think if you have the New American Standard, you'll find that that's the way they've translated it here in both of these verses. Did they not? Choice. He is a choice one. Choice In the qualitative sense, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, choice, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded or shamed or dishonored. Now, um, turning back then to Matthew chapter 22. To reiterate once again, picture the scene that you have Israel as a nation who has been invited to the wedding feast. And those who had been invited had received the, gone out and they'd received the invitation. They had sent them out. They had rejected it, turned it down, and refused to come in. And the... the king who's putting on the feast for his son becomes angry. And it says there in verse 7, he's going to send forth his armies and destroy those murderers and burn up their city. Well, he did that in A.D. 70. And then he goes out and says, Just invite as many in as you can. I want to fill this thing up. And so they go out and invite all kinds of people in. He opens the invitation wide. In other words, good and bad. And it's important to recognize, you know, the the difference, the lowliness of those who actually came into the wedding feast as opposed to those over here who turned down and rejected the invitation as opposed to those over here who accepted and came and what provision was made for them. And the lesson then at the end regarding the one who did not prepare himself, he didn't, in other words, he accepted the invitation. He came, 
He believed the gospel, in other words. It's what we have here. He accepted Christ. But he didn't come prepared. He lacked obedience. And because of his lack of obedience, he was removed. And so when the Lord says many are called, but few are choice, the reason it's choice, the reason it's an adjective, is so that we will pick up on the idea that he's talking about quality here. It's qualitative regarding the person the Lord accepts into his wedding feast. He provided the clothing, but they, that what, I mean, well, he did provide the clothing, but the fact that they accepted the invitation, all of these accepted the invitation. All others here in this parable came in obedience by wearing the proper clothing. He, this one here, did not. And that's the point I'm trying to make here this morning. is simply that the matter of choice, the matter of obedience, is entirely up to us. God will make the provision for the clothing. And he will wrap us in a robe of righteousness. And positionally make it possible for us to actually get to the wedding feast. But as to one who will be allowed to participate in the wedding feast. And enjoy all the blessings and benefits that will be there. Is totally laid upon us. Completely. It's all our obedience. All how we respond. Many, he says, are called, invited to come to the wedding feast. But only a few are actually going to be considered as choice, as fit ones, who are prepared and ready to enjoy the blessings of the wedding. Not all are going to get to. This one here, he was carried away hand and foot. And tossed outside the wedding palace. He was removed from the king's palace. Where all the joy and the festivities were occurring. And there he was left. As it were. To wallow around in his own sorrow. Weeping and gnashing of his teeth. Over what he had missed out on. Because he failed to obey. So all of us here have the same invitation. Just like we have over here in the first part of the parable with Israel, all the, the invitation went out to all. He says here, he invited, excuse me, he, yeah, he invited those having been invited. You see, the, the invitation had gone out long before when God had called Israel as a nation. Now the specific invitation was going out that the wedding was now ready. The feast has been prepared. Come and enjoy. And they all made, made excuses as to why they couldn't come. Now you have over here 
after their refusal and after God's dealings with them, you have a whole new scene of a new group of people who have been invited and who actually accepted the invitation. Whereas these over here on the left in my Bible, it's kind of neatly divided. Israel's over here on the left side of my Bible. The others are over on the right. That's why I keep saying these over here, you know, they refused. They rejected. But those on the other side all, all accepted the invitation. And I think that's just, you know, if you think about what the nature of what we see in the church today is very evident around us. Many openly and freely accept the gospel invitation. The question is, how many are actually obediently preparing themselves, fitting themselves, as it were, to participate in this wedding? Now, we're all familiar with uh, Revelation 19, where we have this picture of the marriage feast there and how that the ones accepted into the wedding there were those who had been privileged to clothe themselves in white linen. And it tells us there that the white linen represents the righteous deeds or the righteous acts of the saints. Well, that's, that's nothing more than the evidence of this very word choice here, which in virtually every Bible you have is to be translated chosen. But it's an adjective. It's choice. It's the choice ones. God selects the choice based on a qualitative basis. It's how they prepared themselves. And this one here did not prepare himself for the wedding. Let's be about the business of preparing ourselves, getting ourselves ready. This, you know, when, when you, this really weighs on you, weighs on me. Maybe I should say it that way. It weighs on me. This whole responsibility that I see in Scripture that I am to go about becoming conformed to my own Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. God's choice one. God's accepted one. Who, in a qualitative sense, met all the conditions that, that could possibly be set forth for God to take for one who would be his Messiah. And for God to accept you and I as those who would meet the same conditions requires then that we go about obediently adhering to the tenets of the faith. The faith, as we mentioned last week. The content of that gospel message and even going back then just a few weeks farther, further to the Sermon on the Mount. And the conditions that the Lord Jesus Christ laid down to his disciples 
for entrance, participation in his coming kingdom. I hope we can see that change needs to take place. That's what I'm struggling with. Becoming a changed person. Becoming that person who is filled with that spirit of Christ. Who is not walking according to the dictates of my own flesh. But ensuring that I walk according to his spirit. That I'm putting off the old man each day. And being sure that when I get up in the morning that I've put on the new man. Or when I get up that I still have him on from the night before. Whatever the case may be. And that I'm walking in that kind of obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now maybe I... Maybe I preached this message for me today since I needed it. But I, I figure I'm pretty safe in assuming that most all of us here need to be reminded once again, once again, over and over, just as we've been reminded over and over here in the New Testament of the, the duty, the responsibility that we have to fall in line, as it were, To be obedient to the faith. So that when the time comes. And we face the Lord Jesus Christ. He can say to us then well done. He can say to us welcome. Welcome to my kingdom. Could you imagine. A kingdom here on earth. You're traveling over to some. Other country? I don't know. Maybe Bradley will have an opportunity. See, over there in in Africa. Could you imagine he and a group of guys going into some kingdom there? And the king says, welcome to my kingdom. What basis would he welcome them on? The basis for welcoming them would be a relationship to him, first of all, and then secondly, how they've conducted themselves in relationship to that king. And that's what he's talking about then. How have we responded in faith? How have we lived out our lives? Let's not look back over our life with regret. Now, you might look back over certain parts of your life, but I'm talking about from the point of faith in Christ, from the point that you began to live for the Lord and to walk with him. From that point on, let's don't look back over that life with sorrow and regret. Because if we do, then the sorrow and regret will only multiply itself when we get into the same position where this man here found himself cast out and removed from the privileges of the wedding feast. So like the old saying we had about 30 or 40 years ago, let's just keep on keeping on and walking by faith. And could we do this too? Let's just keep on encouraging one another. Let's just keep on helping one another to be faithful, to be loyal to the Lord Jesus Christ, to be devoted to him. 
and not give up and to not quit along the way. And we'll see our due reward at the appointed time. Let's pray. Father, how we want to thank you with, from the very bottom of our hearts and from the very depths of our soul for what you have given to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And to realize that out of the larger group, the corporate, just like out of, the, out of Israel and the larger body, you choose certain ones based on a qualitative performance or basis. So out of the church, a corporate body, you will choose and select certain ones. And so we pray, Father, that we would recognize that fact. And that you had, in opening our eyes to the truth of the gospel and sensing that purpose which you are fulfilling as you unfold your plan. And we see these things happening before us day by day as we approach the time. May we be filled with a zeal and a, and a real passion to engage ourselves in a, in a walk with you and in a fellowship with you that is as meaningful as anything that the Apostle Paul experienced or the Apostle Peter or any of the apostles or any of the, of the church fathers or any of the Old Testament saints who knew you in the most intimate of ways. Grant us that privilege and that request, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.